0: Good afternoon. This is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group and it is Friday, June nineteenth, twenty fifteen, and I was just discussing with our guest. It is already so hot, I can't even imagine what August is gonna be like this year. Today we have a real treat. We are back to our uh boardroom series. And we are going to be interviewing Katie Pashore. and Katie has written a very, very interesting book about how to get into the boardroom. And the name of the book is Into the Boardroom, How to Get Your First Seat on a Corporate Board. Katie, welcome.
1: Thank you, Chickie. I'm glad to be here today.
0: Katie, give us a little thumbnail uh, about you. We're going to talk a lot about your book today, but our listeners would love to hear your story.
1: Well, certainly. My career began uh, as an accountant. I had my CPA and worked for a large national accounting firm called Price Barhouse Coopers for about 10 years. Then I moved into IT distribution, so I worked with uh, the big brands that you would recognize, Apple, Microsoft, Hewlett-Packard, for about 10 years. That was a Fortune 500 company that I worked for, so that's where I kind of cut my teeth on business and got a lot of good experience. Then I joined the cabinet of uh, then-Governor Jan Napolitano and ran the Arizona Lottery for several years. Then I uh, ran the Greater Phoenix Chamber of Commerce, uh, representing business interests at the state level for several years. And then I opened my coaching practice, which is what I do today, Chickie. is called Inner Capital.
0: I love that name. In fact, when I when I saw it on your LinkedIn profile, I thought, "What an interesting name to get people thinking about the fact that we, you know, we measure capital, and obviously with your financial background, we measure capital in in a very flat sort of way, and and we don't really think about the power that we bring uh, from the inside." And so, I, I think you've really captured that in your brand. Bravo! Well, thank
1: you. I I think a lot about the inner capital within executives and strong community leaders and what they bring to the table. So just like social capital, political capital, financial capital, we do all have our own inner capital that we bring to our leadership. So that's what I work on now, and that's really quite a bit of what's behind the book as well. Well,
0: I am sure you have some amazing stories from your days at the lottery. That, that sounds like a really, <laughs> really fun departure from what you were doing before. But I also wanted to ask you about your co-author, uh, Dorothy Light.
1: Yes. Dorothy and I wrote this book uh, together many years ago. We met at a national women's leadership conference. At the time, Dorothy was the um, general counsel and corporate secretary of Prudential. She was serving on a corporate board at the time. I was as well. And we got so many questions from other women at this leadership conference that we put together a panel on it. And after that, Dorothy looked at me and said, you know, we need to write a book on this because people have a lot of questions. So (laughs) she was really the inspiration and, and the leader for getting us started, and we wrote this together.
0: Well, I think it's it's very very interesting that you describe the boardroom as being mysterious, and you know I think a lot of people have never actually seen the inside of a boardroom unless perhaps it's empty and they're peeking in to see what it looks like. Um, I've I've had the pleasure of being involved uh, in a lot of board meetings because of my consulting career, which you know I've been doing that for over twenty years. But tell us a little bit about about why it is so mysterious. Is that by design?
1: Well, I don't know if it's by design. I would say that several uh, decades ago, there was a bit of corporate theater involved. Often, boardrooms at that point, you know, literally had uh, dark wood tables and, and uh, coffee served out of china teacups. But a lot of that has changed now, and depending on the culture of the corporation, really defines what their boardroom is like. But what I meant in that comment initially, Chicky, is that a lot of people don't know how you get in a boardroom, don't know what's goes right. on inside of it. And it is a mystery to them um, how that process works. So that's what the book was really about is the process of getting on corporate boards.
0: Well, let's start really at the beginning. And, and you've you've talked a little bit uh, about what, what goes on in the boardroom just at the very, very highest level. So how does a woman – decide if this is where she wants to be? How would she even know?
1: Well, we take our readers through a process, and we start with looking at the risks and the rewards, which I'd like to talk a bit about, and then the responsibilities and duties of being a board member, and then how it looks to the CEOs that you are working with. So if I could start a little bit with risk and rewards, I think most people want to know how much does a board member receive for their services?
0: Right, And I'm sure there's a wide, wide range of compensation depending on the, the size of the company.
1: Well, there is. But I think for the brands that most readers recognize, the Fortune 500, I would say those are $200,000 plus uh, as a package, meaning they're a cash retainer plus some combination of stock options or restricted stock. But as you mentioned, for smaller companies, the Fortune 1000, the small cap stocks, or for private companies, it can be much smaller. It can be 30 to 50000
0: Right, right. And and so you've talked about the money side of it. What what about the other rewards? And then I want to make sure we, we look at the risks as well.
1: Well, I think truthfully one of the, the most important rewards is that you are working with a very bright, capable group of individuals around the boardroom. These are the fellow directors and the senior managers of the company. You're working on the most difficult and complex strategic issues facing the business. Because you are not doing day-to-day operations. You're looking to the future. You're looking at strategy. And you're really at the the cusp of making these big decisions that set a direction for several years. So that to me is very rewarding work.
0: Yeah, and I, I would definitely agree with that. I, I had the pleasure of being hired by the Orbitz Board of Directors. My my career has all been in the travel industry. And so uh, I was hired last year to help them work through a particularly contentious problem with uh, one of their owners. Uh, And the owner had many people on the board, right? So I was working for the audit committee, which happened to be all outside board members, which, you know, I'm Uh I'm guessing is the normal construct uh, uh, for a publicly traded company. And uh, it was just fabulous to be exposed. uh, and, And there happened to be two great women on the board um, you know, who I've just really enjoyed getting to know personally as well as, as uh, you know, working with them through this process. But I would say that was the best thing about that consulting engagement for me was just finding out these amazing people that were helping drive strategy in a travel company, and they had no travel industry experience. I think I found that to be one of the most interesting things, and that's, of course, why they brought me in, because they needed that industry expertise.
1: Well Well, you've seen it can be, you know, difficult um, but rewarding work. So I think that uh, type of camaraderie and working together on a a big complex issue can be very rewarding.
0: Right, right. So let's talk about risk.
1: Oh, there's a lot of risk. People people need to be aware that, of course, there are risks to your reputation. Reputational risk is what we call it. And if you happen to come onto a board uh, that has serious problems, and things don't go well, and there's a bankruptcy involved, or there's a large product liability lawsuit, or something happens with bad behavior on, on one of the executives, that can damage your reputation. And it's something to think about, Chickie, because you are attached to that board. Your name is in the public documents of right. every filing um, with the FCC. So there is reputational risk. And you have to think um, long and hard about who you're joining and the level of integrity in that boardroom. And whether the products or the strategy of the company is something you want to be associated with, so that's one reputational risk.
0: Right. And and I know that uh, often a part of the compensation package includes uh, insurance uh, against some of the legal liability and some of the financial liability. Can you address that a bit?
1: Well, you're right. It's called D and O, which stands for director and officers' liability. So there are policies, and and you should never join a board with that one. There are policies that the company pays for um, that protect the directors against certain uh, legal fees that would be involved in the defense of a a lawsuit. Nothing protects you against um, not exercising your own duties as a director, the duty of, of care and independence and loyalty You have Mm -hmm. to do your job as a director. So there's no insurance that protects you against not doing your job. But if you have done your job well, you've been prepared, you've uh, had good support, good evidence for your decisions, then this liability insurance is meant to cover legal fees.
0: Right. And so, how about some of the responsibilities and duties you mentioned uh, one of the committees that you're you're on in one of your roles there There are many committees within a board and and some have have very financially oriented responsibilities uh, other you need you know certain background. I know that you're on the compensation committee of one of one of the boards that you're on so So talk to all us right. about the different responsibilities
1: all right well, some work is done in the board committee of the whole. So we're all there working on certain issues. But then we divide up. So almost every board has a compensation and human resource committee, and they deal with setting the compensation plan for the key executives and policies for the company, Then there's the audit committee, and they are involved in working with the outside external auditors to ensure that the financial information about the company is accurate and transparent. And then there's usually a nominating and governance committee, and they deal with how new members come on the board as well as putting together the proxy, which is the communication vehicle from the board to the shareholders that comes out before each annual meeting. So all boards have at least three of those, and many boards have other committees as well.
0: So describe for us some of the duties of of a board member so that, that, uh, again, this this whole section of your book is about is this really where you want to be? Do you have the skills is what we're going to talk about next. But first I want to talk a little bit about the duties.
1: Right. Well, the duty of loyalty and what that means is your first thought has to be what is the best thing for the shareholders of this company? Then we think about the employees of the company and the corporation at large, but you are representing the interests of the shareholder. So you must, you have a duty to be loyal to that interest. Second is independence. Are you truly independent of the management team, and are you not in conflict with other investments that you have as an individual? So let's say that you worked at a, a bank and you're in their investment banking group. <clears throat> Excuse me. You cannot represent the company that you're also serving on the board during an important transaction or if they want to do an acquisition or if they want to take out a new line of credit. You have to Mm -hmm. be independent of any transactions that come before the board. So those are two very important duties. Also the duty of of preparation. You must read the tremendous amount of information that they Mm send you. You must be prepared and have reviewed all the relevant data for the transactions that you're voting on. So those would be three of the, the really key duties for all board members.
0: Got it. So you also talked about the relationship with the CEO. And, you know, it would be interesting if you could describe a little bit, when you join a board, who do you actually work for? Uh, you know, you've talked about the responsibility to the shareholders. Is, is that who you're working for?
1: Yes, and it's a good question, Tricky, because sometimes we have to remind ourselves of the perspective. The shareholders, through the proxy voting process, approve each member of the board. So in most boards, annually, every member on the board is up for a vote. So people who own the stock get to vote. So you work at the pleasure of the shareholders. Board members hire and fire the CEO. That's one of their most important duties, and they evaluate and reward the CEO. So the CEO works for the board. And the board works for the shareholders. Now, you asked about <laughs> what it's like when you're in the room. Well, in the room, you're working very closely with the senior team and the CEO. And, of course, you have a cordial, collegial uh, relationship with them and you work closely with them. So you have a feeling of being on a team. But, you know, we never lose sight of the fact that we work for the shareholders and the CEO works for the board.
0: Right. Very, very interesting. So in, in the case, uh, and I, I know most of the companies you have uh, been on the boards for have been fairly large, but in in the case of a board where the CEO is actually the company founder, and I've been in this role before, so mm-hmm. uh, how is the relationship of, of uh, someone who has actually founded the company and then the board decides they're not the best person moving forward for that role? Uh, Do you have any insight uh, on that front? Well, of course, that's very difficult. And
1: when we talk about boards broadly, um, we have to remember that just like families, everyone is unique. So a privately held company with a founder in place would have a different set of circumstances than public. So in this instance, we're talking about a publicly held company where the founder made the choice of selling a lot of his original ownership to the public, and right. there are external shareholders who have now elected a board, and the board has now decided this is not the right CEO to bring us forward. So that is difficult. That's a difficult personal decision. It's a difficult transition for the company. But almost all young companies go through that phase where, you know, the, the vibrant entrepreneur that took a lot of risks and built the company to this level um, is often not the managerial, administrative, strategic person that's ready to take it you know for the next, Years, so we see that often. It's difficult personally. It can be handled um, with, you know, respect in a way that leaves everybody uh, feeling that it was done fairly. But it's not easy. Those situations are never easy.
0: So let's talk about how you determine if you have what it takes. And you know, I had referred earlier to the fact that uh, sometimes the directors who come into a company have no experience in the industry that they're serving in so that obviously is not a barrier because we see it all the time so how do you determine first of all what it takes to be a good board member
1: well this is something we should spend quite a bit of time on tricky because there's a lot of misunderstandings about what makes a good board member i think most people that come to talk to me about this subject are highly accomplished in their own career Uh, rightly so they feel very successful and think that they would have a lot to offer to any corporate board. What is difficult to understand is that what the boards need is not defined by someone who is generally successful within their field. It's very specific. So let me explain how boards look at what they need in a board member. They they have a, a process called a grid that they put together, and maybe there's nine people on their board, maybe there's 12 each board member has a role a slot if you will so let's say you need someone to chair the audit committee then that's a situation where that person needs to have deep understanding of the audit process of current accounting literature and most likely has recently been the cfo of a major public company or was a partner at an audit firm now, When you mentioned that you work with a board where people didn't have industry expertise, that particular board member that's working on the audit committee would not necessarily have to have industry expertise. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, yes, it does.
1: But then other members on the board might be selected specifically because they have operating experience. In the travel industry, or they might be selected because they had experience in the IT system that's going to run this travel industry, or right. experience with the suppliers or the customers of that travel industry. So each board member serves a unique role, a unique purpose, and that's important for us to keep in mind. Now, and and as-
0: so, yeah, I was going to say, so in, in looking at that, when there is a vacancy, and the previous person, perhaps did or didn't have have experience is there dialogue at that juncture uh of determining whether the next person should have or not have what the previous person did uh you know based on their effectiveness
1: absolutely that's that's exactly it Tiki. when I mentioned the nominating and governance committee, one of the things they do usually a year or two in advance of a board member retiring or resigning or coming off the board, is they look at the grid and they say, okay, down the left we have all the needs of our business, and across the top we have which board members are fulfilling those needs. So let's say the person that's retiring um, used to know a lot about the computer system, as an example. Well, they may have moved on to something else. Now maybe they've uh, got a worldwide operation and they're running on SAP and it's a totally different platform. So they may not need the skills of the person that was leaving the board. So they, they look at it again and they say, oh, you know, now we've bought an acquisition in Asia. What we need is a board member who's had deep experience in transitioning companies within Asia. So we're going to replace that kind of experience and we don't need this particular IT experience. So they do update it constantly. They look for different things. They're often looking for a future need, you know, if they're planning on growing the business in Europe or planning on taking it to South America. So, you know, often they're anticipating what kind of expertise they would need.
0: That's Interesting. So in in taking a look, uh, and and let's say that you have your eye on a particular company and you you have some knowledge of of the uh, board selection process within that company and you've managed to to get in front of someone uh, who's aware that you're interested, how do you figure out whether you're ready or not, whether the timing is right uh, or where it fits in your own career path? to be a board member.
1: You're raising an important point. I think timing, uh, as as they say, is everything. Uh, Boards take a lot of time or a little, and you can't predict which. And here's what I mean by that. (laughs) You might get on a board and it's smooth sailing and things are working well and they have a mature management team and they've got a great place in the industry, and for several years it may just be quarterly meetings some some special reviews of information and something very predictable. But by the same token, you could join a board, and two weeks after you have joined them, they get a, a bid to be acquired. Maybe somebody wants to buy them, and that's unanticipated, and it requires all kinds of work and a lot of travel and late nights, and you have to do the work that is before you you don't get to choose that and say, oh, I don't have time for an acquisition review right now. <laughs> you know, this just <laughs> to happen. So oh, that's, that's an
0: interesting point.
1: Yeah. So the right timing, I think, Chickie, is when you are in control of your schedule. And here's what I mean by that. If you are nearing uh, retirement from your original career or let's say you own a business, but now you're the CEO of that business, so you're able to say, I'm going to travel this week or I'm not, You know, if you're in a situation where you don't have a lot of commitment to the young kids or you don't uh, have responsibility to care for some aging parents that have Alzheimer's or, you know, you're not in a situation where where you're not in charge of your schedule, that's very important because you're going to enjoy the board experience if you can commit the time to it. It's going to be a tremendous stress on you if you don't have control of your schedule.
0: Wow, I you know, I hadn't really thought about that because one of one of my personal goals is to get on a board and you know, I'm right in the middle of of starting up a new company and and so just having heard you talk about that uh that is really going to make me rethink my timing. Uh because well, I'm no one company.
1: of As you know, Mm Shiki, new companies are like babies. You know, they're like children. They want a lot of your time and attention, and you really need to groom them and work with them and feed them and nurture them. And so, you know, my guess is you'll end up putting a lot of your energy into that new business.
0: Well, you know, here's the interesting thing, though, because I'm the CEO that you described that the company will outgrow me because I'm I'm a startup person and I'm okay. you know, I'm very, very focused on, on new things. And that was true in my corporate career as well. And it, it's interesting that I never recognized it until I left corporate life. Um okay. you know, I had always been that person to work on the special project stuff. So um but very, very interesting. I, I hadn't I hadn't really thought that through uh completely well, when I, I when I stated it that tricky. goal. It is-
1: yeah, it explains the the demographic as well. Almost all board members are between fifty five and seventy. Now there's exceptions. I happen mm-hmm. to have gone on my first board when I was forty, but there are most most people are in that fifty five to seventy block. And the reason is they're at a point where their career has been very successful, so they have the chops to get invited, and they're at a place where they have a lot of personal freedom with their travel schedule. Usually they're done with their, you know, home commitments and the kids are in college or whatever. So they happen to be at that age. They also have, you know, developed some wisdom, okay, so they have something they want to share um, and give back to these other companies. Something I think is very important from a personality point of view is that they have the maturity um, to want to help guide and set a strategy, but their ego no longer requires that they be the boss that they stand making all the decisions or the woman that's in charge. So that's an important thing, too, when you look at whether the time's right for you.
0: Right. Well, and, and the interesting thing is, if, if I know that my company will be outgrowing me when I get it to the place where, you know, where it no longer needs my specific skills, then for me personally, and, you know, perhaps for people who are listening, that could be then the right timing for me. So that the, right. the right. perhaps the sting of not being involved in my own venture, uh, you know, could be uh, somehow salved by that. Oh, so, okay. um yeah, and I know each person listening has their own situation and trying to figure out whether they're ready or not. And clearly having that time uh, actually coincide with the open seat on the board is the next thing that you address in your book. Will you be at the right place at the right time?
1: Mm-hmm. Positioning is very important. And, you know, whether it's someone like yourself with a new startup or whether it's uh, a woman that's the CFO or CEO of a, a large uh, business right now, They have to start thinking several years ahead because you need the visibility within your professional sphere to be noticed, to be asked. And if someone's going to recommend you to a position or later when we talk about executive search, if a national firm is going to find you and identify you and bring you in as a list of candidates, you have to be known. So several years prior to when you think you're ready, you're building your profile. You're you're giving speeches at trade associations. You're on panels at conferences. You're, you know, contributing articles to uh, magazines right. in your field. Whatever it is you're doing, that's appropriate for your profession. You know, you need to have that kind of profile. And I'm sure we'll talk about online profiles as well. But that happens several years before you're ready to actually do the work.
0: Right. Right. Well. So what what is the process on, on the board for board selection? You've you've mentioned, uh, you know, that the compensation committee plays a big role and that you've got this grid that defines what the company needs on the board and, you know, what you end up having at any particular point in time. Because typically, you know, m- more than one person rolls off of a board at a time, correct?
1: Um, not necessarily. It's... I would say it's often one at a time because many boards stagger their appointments so that they don't lose, you know, two or three at a time. So it's generally one at a time. There are exceptions to that, of course. Sometimes, you know, people have to resign due to a health issue or something, so there can be more. But on a large board that has 9 to 12 members, you might have a person rolling off every two or three years, let's say. So the nominating and governance committee is in somewhat of a continual process of updating their grid, um, you know, looking at possible candidates, and then occasionally, you know, bringing one to the board um, to be voted on and approved um, during the next proxy. So it's a somewhat continuous process. Mm -hmm. Um, If I could, Chiki, kind of differentiate between large and small businesses um, because your listeners are going to have a variety of experiences. If you pictured a a pyramid, at the widest part of the pyramid on the bottom are over 10 – privately held companies that do have boards. Because they're privately held, they're not required to report. So we don't have good data on what they pay their directors and how they're seating those directors. Those are almost all done through private referrals with the exception of venture-backed companies. Many of those are done the search firms. But the venture-backed you know, startup companies are included in that 10,000. The next group up would have Oh, a little over a 1,000 publicly held companies that are smaller. We would call them small cap stocks. Maybe they're less than a billion in market capitalization. And then the top group would be the ones you've heard of, the Fortune 500. Those would be larger than a billion in market cap. And when I'm talking right now, I'm just going to generally talk about those largest companies because they use national search in a more specific process. But the companies that there are more of, the 10,000 companies that many of your readers are likely to um, run into or have uh, relationships with, they are almost always done by personal referral and not a search firm. So when we start to talk about the process, Chickie, we kind of have to keep both of those tracks in mind because your listeners may run into either one.
0: Right. Right. So what is the best way to get your name on the short list when you know that there is an opening and, again, you already have the credentials. I mean, we're assuming that that's in place, that, that you have uh, you know, taken a look at what the company needs, you see that there's a good fit, you know that your background would be appealing to them. How do you get your name on the short list?
1: Well, two ways. Uh, one, and most commonly, is that someone that knows you know someone who's a director on the board. So one of the things we have our readers ask themselves, and we have a little checklist in the book, is who do you know today that is sitting on a corporate board? And it's kind of an interesting litmus test for your listeners because if they don't know anyone, then they haven't done a good enough job of profiling themselves and networking to get the attention of someone who's doing the kind of job that they want to be doing. So they have some more work to do you have to be in a position where you're talking with people who do have these kinds of contacts. So let's say the corporate attorney um, that does work for many boards would probably be in the position to mention you to someone, a venture capitalist and investment banker, someone who's the CEO of a similar company that competes with this company. You know, those folks would know you. And so if there is an opening, you know, you would think that they know somebody in that circle and they'd be able to say, wow, you know, have you met this individual? She seems like she could contribute so much to your board. Right. And there's an important message in that sentence, Chickie. The individuals on the board are looking for someone who can contribute value to their process.
0: Right, right. Whereas
1: the people who want to be on a board are thinking, oh, gosh, I'd like to be on the board. This would be good for me. Okay, you know, I'd, I'd like to have this kind of experience with this kind of uh, financial reward. So, you know, that's not how people on the board are looking at it. So you have to have a lot that you're, you know, bringing to the table as far as financial right. acumen and experience.
0: So once they are ready to make an offer for you, how do you make sure that you're making a match that's right for you?
1: you no, know, it's interesting. Um, this is where the experience is quite different than job interviews. And since we're talking to people who are looking at their first seat, this would be their first time. So I want to I mention a little bit about how it's different. When you're interviewing for a job, you know, you're one of several candidates and you're competing and you're trying to impress them and you're hoping you get an offer. Well, when you're interviewing for a board seat, so much has already been done and learned about you and your background. They are not randomly talking to people about possibly serving on the board. They're talking Mm -hmm. to a very uh, well-researched and vetted short list of probably three to four candidates. They're not talking to 30, and they have something very specific in mind, as we said, a specific committee seat or a specific role on the board or a specific expertise that you're bringing. So they already think you're capable of this. You don't have to prove something. You know, they've already said, right. wow, look at this experience of what you've done. <laughs> Your lifetime of career success and what you've done and how you've acted and the integrity and results that you've gotten have gotten you to where they're going to talk to you. So instead of an interview, it's more of a introduction, and they're looking at three or four people who are all capable of sitting in that board seat. None of you are, quote, going to lose the board seat. They're going to pick one who seems to have the best interpersonal chemistry at this point. Who seems yeah, I was to going to ask if that was a factor
0: ways. because the, the next chapter in your book actually talks about that teamwork uh, mm-hmm. between the board members. And, you know, it it would seem to me that rather than just the chairman of the board doing the interview or the chairman of the, the um the compensation committee, that it really needs to be uh, each individual on the board talking to the potential board member and seeing if they're a good fit.
1: Yes, and that happens several ways, Chickie. You know, usually the head of nominating and governance and maybe one other individual might do the interviews of every candidate, and then maybe they're going to come up with a top two. And then perhaps you're with a board small enough or the board members are all in the same town, and they could interview you individually. Sometimes it has to be on the video conference or the phone, or sometimes there's like a reception or a luncheon or something where they can get three or four of them together. But you're right. They try to have everyone meet you. And during that process, you also are asking yourself, hey, is this a good set? Do I feel comfortable? Do I feel chemistry with these people? Do I feel like I would be a good team member? As together we solve some pretty difficult issues. Uh, can I communicate well with them? Do I feel like this is something I want to do for seven or ten years with this team? You know, we don't take a board sheet and then leave six months later. This is usually a long-term assignment. So knowing it's the right board for you or not has a lot to do with that chemistry. How did you feel, you know, and how did they feel? And if for some reason you aren't selected for that one, it doesn't mean you lost or you weren't good enough. It means, well, we just felt chemistry with someone else. So right you, know, you will probably be asked to be on other boards and you should be complimented you know just to be part of the process
0: right right well you know it's interesting because we talked a little bit about uh people rolling on and off a board so what what do you do if you join a board and then the the people that you meshed the best with leave and then people come on and it isn't a good fit because that long-term commitment you know, has to do with with how well the whole group works together. Um, Have you seen that kind of situation where, you know, one set of people was humming along and then someone comes in and all of a sudden it's off kilter? It
1: can happen. Um, What that represents is a flaw in the process because one would hope that during the interviewing and the researching and the vetting, that you did select someone who would work well with everybody. So, right. you know, it can happen. You would hope it doesn't. It can happen. I think what's more typical, Chickie, is that the company itself changes direction. So a company that was a certain size might decide to do a large acquisition and become very large, or they might start, decide to sell off a division that used to be important to them. And so the board starts to shift in reflection of the new company that's emerging. So you might have some people who liked it the old way or who felt that division was important and now the strategy changed or shifted. Right. And so sometimes you have that type of, type of division among the board. And usually, you know, some people might say, hey, you know, I've contributed all I can. I'm going to resign. Um, and you have that sometimes. But generally right. I think there's a, a collegiality, you know, a good team environment. And if that's not there for you, certainly you can resign. But when you take one of these, roles, it's not with the intention that, oh, gosh, you know, (laughs) maybe just a few months. Um, It is usually with the intention that, you know, I am going to support the direction of this company for seven or ten years.
0: Right, right. Very, very interesting. So, Katie, I know in the book you have a number of self-assessment tools um, to, you know, assist people in this thought process, and and it isn't something that you should go into lightly, especially with that long-term commitment. So talk to us a little bit about those tools, and then I'd like uh, for you to also share with us how people can get in touch with you if they're interested in your coaching or consulting services.
1: Okay. Well, the checklists are designed to keep to help individuals calibrate their expectations so that they have the highest degree of success. You know, if, if you told me you were five foot four and you wanted to play in the NBA, I'd say, wow, Chick, it's going to be hard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you might not be cut out for that. Most of those guys are, you know, six foot nine. So I like individuals at the beginning of this process to calibrate their own expectations. And if they look at their background and they don't see deep evidence of financial accuracy, if they do not see that they have dealt with financial statements and accounting issues and market investment issues, then they are not a good candidate for a board because every single board member has to understand the financial statements and be able to participate in those kind of discussions about the financial results of the company. So I like them to just, you know, first off say, hey, is this me or not? And if it's not, there are so many other great things to do. You know, you don't have to be on a board. But if you do have those kind of financial uh, skills and you feel that you're literate in that and you would enjoy that environment, then let's go to step two. And the checklist says, you know, where have you had deep experience? Where have you had operating experience? You know, what are the industries? What are the sectors? What are the skills that really make sense to you? And then at what size? So there's a lot of difference between you having been the head of a $100 million company and going on a board that has three or four hundred million in sales. There's a lot of comparability there to the type of issues and the type of challenges that company will have. If you've been in a hundred million dollar company and you run a division that was fifty million, but you're looking at a board that has five billion in sales and is global, that's not a good fit. You know, most board members at, at that company would say, well, wow, I'm not sure this candidate has the kind of experience that will be relevant to what our challenges are. So I like people to calibrate the size of their experience and what they've done with the size of the boards that they're looking at. And the best way for them to do that, Chickie, is just get out the proxy, you know, get out the uh, filings for that company that are public from the year before and look at the list of current board members. It describes what their experience is, where they've been before they came on this board, and ask yourself, wow, you know, do I fit right in? Do I seem like I would be a peer? Am I a good candidate? Or do those folks seem to have had experience that's very different than mine, in which case it might not be a fit? So those are the purposes of the checklist, and I think that they, they really help potential candidates see where they should spend their time.
0: So, Katie, you first wrote this book in 2002, and then a paperback came out in 2006. What would you include today that you didn't include in the book uh, when you first wrote it?
1: Well, as you might remember, we're hard at work at that. Um, Dorothy and I this summer are coming out with a second edition. should be out by Thanksgiving. And we are reviewing and revising each of the chapters because a lot has happened. Uh, Sarbanes-Oxley and Dodd-Frank, those are two really massive pieces of legislation that have vastly changed the um, requirements and the expectations for board members. So we're putting that in the update. The Internet and social media has changed how executive recruiters and board members find new potential board members. So just thinking about LinkedIn, we're putting an entire uh, chapter in about how to manage your online presence and profile on LinkedIn because that's so commonly used to source candidates and, and to look at referrals. And then this, this uh, very broad trend now about getting more women and diverse candidates on the board. In 2000, that was not... Uh, talked about in the media to the extent that it is today. So there's a big trend. You know, there's a big wave um, to look very seriously at putting more women and diversity candidates on the board. So we will address that as well. So a lot's changed, and most of it is very positive.
0: Well, Katie, if people do want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to connect?
1: My website is innercapitalaz.com. And that is the best way to connect with me. Uh, That talks about my coaching practice. It also has information about the book. If you're interested in the book, of course, Amazon.com is the best place to find it. It's available there. And uh, either Dorothy or I will answer questions. If you want to send us uh, an email through that website, innercapitalaz.com, we'd be happy to do so.
0: Terrific. Well, Katie, it has been terrific uh, to get your perspectives on this. I know it's it's uh, one of those topics that. Uh, doesn't appeal to a broad group, but for those who really have a desire and, and feel that they have a lot to contribute, uh, this is the definitive work. And I, I'm so glad to hear that you guys are are in the process of updating it because I know so many of our members on the Executive Girlfriends Group are at the tail ends of their career and looking at at what's next. You know, what's the next chapter in my life and their kids are going off to college or have gone off to college. And, uh, you know, they really need to think that through. And I think that this is a a terrific work to give them that foundation that they need to uh, penetrate the mysterious and powerful uh, uh, board concept that perhaps they uh, dabbled in, you know, going into a board meeting at some point as a part of an executive team, but would really like to be on the inside.
1: So, Dorsey and I would both like to meet them on the other side of the board table. So uh, encourage them. And, again, any questions, they can send it to us at intercapitalav.com. And thanks for having us on the show, Chickie.
0: Thank you so much. And, again, the name of the book is Into the Boardroom, How to Get Your First Seat on a Corporate Board. Thank you so much, Katie, and have a great weekend. For those who'd like more information about the Executive Girlfriends Group, just go to executivegirlfriendsgroup.com, or you can join our group on Facebook, and then we also have a private group for our members. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Take care.